Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to St. Basil the Great Catholic Church podcast. This is Tommy Dolan, the Director of Evangelization, and it is a radical year. What does that mean? Well, the word radical comes from the Latin root radix, which means root. So radical year is a rooted year, a year that gets back to the roots. And roots are connected in a big network with the same life passing through them. So what we're doing is we are interviewing a couple different parishioners who you may have seen but might not know their story. But this is audio, so I'm going to have to put a picture of you, Rob, along with the episode picture and put this on social media. That sounds good. People have told me I have a face for radio anyway, so it, yeah. it's fine. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it should probably be portrait rather than landscape, just to fit your beard. Now people know who you are. Yeah. It's a quarantine mean, beard, so it's got to be a little bit oh, extra yeah. great. Yeah. Really rocking it. So... The person with whom I'm speaking is Rob Blackburn. So we're going to get to know Rob a little bit better. He's been in the parish, I don't know, how long? Uh, 12 years. Okay. Glad you're here, Rob. And I called you because your story is, is interesting and where you're taking your life and your faith journey. We'll get to that in a minute. So uh, give us the real quick intro to who you are. All right. Real quick, I guess. I'm from Long Island, New York. Went what? to school in Pennsylvania. Met my wife, Allison, who lives in Brecksville, and it was significantly cheaper to live here than back in New York, uh -huh. so we decided to stay here, and then we've been here in the parish since we got married in 2009. How'd you guys meet? Uh, probably through friends at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I think at some point you did meet, yes. What? No, actually, I used to work at the... Uh, at the because it was boy girl dorm at Mercyhurst College at the time, uh, so the dorms were separated. I worked at the girls' dorm signing people in. What? Yeah, it doesn't make sense, but I was the only guy to do it, so it was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some reason they gave me the early shift, and I'm not a morning person. But the the lovely person I worked with was like, "Oh yeah, I'm a morning person. You know, you can just sleep." So I did, and she was really good friends with Allie, and. <laughs> So we met that way, but I wasn't physically, I mean, physically there, but not, not actually there because I was asleep you every morning. Asleep. Yeah. I did a really good job at signing people in. Yeah. <laughs> so they were like, let's find a not girl and not morning person for this girl dorm job in the morning. Yeah. No idea how that happened, but. Hey, divine providence led you two together. <laughs> we're going to go with that. It's all led by the Holy uh, Spirit. That's what matters. Is this a job you got paid for? Yeah. Got, it was part of my, uh whatever the work work program was at the school to help pay for tuition and stuff. It was probably, it was a couple of years later, all our friends were friends and we just kind of got together and I managed, she couldn't resist me. So, you know, that's, <laughs> she's going to hit me when she hears this. I think. <laughs> when did you get married? Uh, we got married in 2009, right here at St. Basil, awesome. Father Walt. It was, How'd you propose? Uh, on the beaches of Presque Isle in Erie, Pennsylvania, at a, one of their famous sunsets. One of their famous sunsets? Yeah, they're famous for their sunsets on Presque oh, Isle. Okay. It was, but it's we, the same, it's just the sun. No, it's a different sun, yeah. 
have their own. <laughs> and then 2009, then what happened since then? Uh, well, we've been a little bit busy. Got had a couple kids. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, our oldest, Liam. He he just turned seven. We got another boy, James, who will be it's like four and a half. Another boy, Gabriel, who's two and a half, and a girl, Josephine, who's six or seven months. And then we have another one on the way due in June. No way! Yeah. I didn't so, know that. Yeah. We have, this is how the word's going to get out. But. Congratulations. <laughs> That's how my mom and dad are going to find out. On the- <laughs> <laughs> well, we are trying to make this parish community, which is a big church. We got a big parish. We're trying to make it smaller by getting to know you a little more. So let's talk about the Jesus part. Okay. Right? Yeah. So when did you come to take your faith seriously? Young man? No, it was... Pr- After you became a geezer? People don't even know how old you are. How old are you? Uh, 34. Okay, right there. awesome. 34. Um, uh, it's probably around 2011 or 12, actually. Allie and I were sitting there talking one night, and she goes, the next day was Ash Wednesday, and she goes, oh, what are you going to give up for Lent? And I was like, oh, I'm going to give up alcohol. And had no idea why I said it. The next day, I was out at a trivia night with a bunch of coworkers, and I've had a couple of drinks and I came home and I was like, oh man, I can't believe, not even sure what I had to do, what just happened. Here I was saying, I'm going to give it up for Lent. Thursday, I was out drinking and mm-hmm. I was, I went home and I was like, oh, this is crazy. So I emailed a guy we met through Pre-Cana who was putting on the Christ and Reuses Parish, helping with that. So I emailed him at, you know, late at night and I was like, hey, is there a spot for me this weekend? Because <laughs> the renewal was that weekend and that was the moment right then. Went to the renewal, and that's kind of when the wheels really got set into motion about where I am now and where wow. I've been and going. Cool. Mm-hmm. So you had this moment of you didn't have as much willpower as you wanted? Yeah, it was it was that, and just really a lack of uh, direction for my faith. Um, when Allie and I went through Pre-Cana in 2008, and I was like, man, I love that. I loved it. Every minute of it. Awesome. Um, and, you know, we joined the team the next year. So pre-Cana, we were part of the pre-Cana team until I had to back out of my ministries at St. Basil when I, what I'm doing now. So that kind of put the roots down <laughs> of where I am, hearing people's stories about, you know, their marriage and their faith and what it meant. So it was always there, but it was just kind of back burner, you know, really, like I said, no direction of what it was that mm-hmm. I wasn't either, definitely wasn't listening or really understanding what God was calling me to do. So it was at that moment, I was like, oh man, this, I, what am I doing? And whatever I was doing, wasn't good. Hmm. And so I just was like, here we go and went to the renewal. And that was like a, one of those God hit me in the head with a two by four, like, what are you yeah. doing kind of moment. So really, yeah. what happened on that? It was actually part of the confession we we do confessions and uh that was one of the things that I was <laughs> dreading because it was had been a couple of years since then and mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't where I needed to be and just kind of everything leading up to that point and you know I think it was Father Larry Richards who says, you know, if you don't know if you've had that life changing confession, you haven't had it yet, I had it and it was then. And uh mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember leaving that and being like, All right, like where do you want me to go next? And that was kind of the the moment of dread going into it because I knew they were going to do it. Yeah. And what would happen? <laughs> you know, would I burst into flames in the confessional? Yeah, right. I didn't, which was nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then that has set you on a path the past eight years or so. 
of taking your faith just really seriously in your marriage too, mm-hmm. and raising your family. It was through that where I uh, I really found what God was calling me to do at the moment, which was be in relationship with Him, which is kind of hard to think about. You're not in it because when you're not in a relationship with God, you don't realize where you're going wrong. It was through that, like, man, I need to pray. And it was just that opened up the doors to prayer and scripture and a whole new sense of of what my life meant in the hands of God. So how does Rob Blackburn pray? Not well enough. And a lot of yelling sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Give me some specifics. Like you're a morning prayer, you're a nighttime prayer, you're a... Pray with the Bible, you're a pray with Catholic devotionals. I'm more of a jack-of-all-trades prayer kind of guy. Um, um, so I have the uh, the breviary, so I do morning and evening prayer as often as I can, mm-hmm. and uh, that helps. But I think my favorite prayer is bedtime prayer with the kids and just hearing what they want to pray for, and yeah. whether it's Thomas the Tank Engine or <laughs> yeah. a lamp, whatever they, you know, I think those, you know, we talk <laughs> about like, those are, to us, like, that's got to be God's favorite prayer. Like hearing a kid who really just wants to pray for one thing, like, and, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Just all out. And it shows you what it means to actually pray for something, because there's no bias in it. There's no want something out of it. It's because right. they're praying for it, because they're praying for it. So I think that's my favorite type of prayer. But in terms of morning or evening, I'm really good when I'm laying in bed saying, um, like doing a rosary or something to help fall asleep. And I rarely ever get to the first mystery. (laughs) (laughs) So I always like to thank God for being able to put me to sleep so quickly through prayer because it's so peaceful. And For those people who have trouble sleeping, that is just kind of tragic. Yeah, my wife is one of those people who hates it. (laughs) Mid-conversation, I'll just be asleep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you laid down 30 seconds ago. How are you asleep? So then a couple of years ago, you decided, yeah, I guess you were discerning and felt God calling you in a specific direction. Yeah, I was, it was actually in, uh, adoration. I used to go to adoration on Thursday morning at two in the morning. Um, it was just an open slot. They needed someone to go to, and I would go then. And sometimes here at St. Basil's, here at St. Basil's mm-hmm. when they did the Overnight from Wednesday yeah. to Thursday. and I did some of those at 2 a.m. too. Really? Yeah. I was the one sleeping in the Running back. In the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was then I just heard this voice saying, you know, just whatever it was. And I was like, man, I, f- I went home and I told my wife, well, the next day because she was asleep. I think God's calling me to the diaconate program to be a deacon. And she was like, oh, well, okay. You know, I could, I could see that. But I mean, now, you know. Right kind of have some young kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember bringing it up to my spiritual director at the time, who was like, I don't think you're ready just yet. And I said, oh, okay. You know, so I still looked into it, not in terms of really going for it, just kind of wanted to see. And when I looked at requirements, I saw that you had to be 35. What I read was you had to be 35 to enter the program. So I thought, oh man, I don't have to think about this for a while. But as I said a little bit earlier, I'm only 34. How am I in this program? <clears throat> so it, maybe it was a year or two later, uh, same thing. In adoration, I just felt this calling like, hey, I want you to be a deacon. It's like, okay. So I went back and saw my spiritual director. I was like, look, what am I supposed to do? You know, I'm 30, whatever at the time, and I can't be 
a deacon or into the program until I'm 35 and God's calling me to do this. I just have this feeling. And he goes, funny you should say that and handed me a pamphlet about the diaconate program for the diocese. He goes, I think this was meant for you then. So I took it home and read it over and it said, you can't be ordained until you're 35. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. So I spent the next year, uh, my wife and I praying about it and seeing what we would need to do. And here I am, year three of five. So, okay, so you're three years into a five-year mm-hmm. program. Okay. Yeah. And me going into my 30s is a little bit different since than some of the other guys in the program who are later on in life because they've been out of school for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes a while to kind of get back into it. Yeah, the academic environment. <laughs> what does a deacon do? Um, really nothing. You know, they just don't really <laughs> help out a lot. No. <laughs> um, a deacon is is kind of what I'm thinking in, in, in my headspace is that they're the liaison from the church to the people of the church. And they help with, I mean, they help with everything. You kind of see what happens here at St. Basil's. Um, but you see that all over the place, whether it's baptisms or helping with marriages and funerals, visiting the sick and all the sacraments, RCIA and the classes, uh, they do quite a bit. That That's something my family would always ask, like, what does a deacon actually does? And I would always say, eh, you know, not much, <laughs> because nothing that a deacon does can't be done by someone else. And when you think about that, it's kind of like, all right, you know, the lay people can, you know, lead prayer services or, you know, the priests obviously can do everything, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. a deacon can because they were a deacon first, you know, mm-hmm. being ordained a deacon. Um, but I think the deacon has a very special place in the church because they're the ones who bring the church to the workplace and out into the world. And I think that, you know, when you have a deacon helping at mass, they're the ones who do the prayer intercessions because they're the ones bringing the prayers of the family to the church. Mm. And they're the ones who set the altar and they're the ones who help out getting things ready. So for, for me, a deacon does a lot, but they don't do, they can't do anything by themselves. You know what I mean? Like they're not the ones, nothing that a deacon does is only done by a deacon. Mm-hmm. Everything can be done by someone else. Yeah. But it's the deacon's role is very special. And I think it's something that is just amazing that the church has kind of instituted back yeah. <laughs> because of what we need and especially with shortages in priesthood. And and I think that their role is just, it's going to grow. And I'm really excited to be on the front lines of that. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you are a decent amount younger than some of your classmates and other guys in the program. Mm -hmm. So what's that like? I get made fun of a lot in my (laughs) class. (laughs) All in good fun, all in good jest. But they'll bring up TV shows that were around before I was (laughs) born in class. But then I'll joke back and I'll tell them what, oh, Netflix is a streaming, you know, stuff. (laughs) You know, we go back and forth. So it's pretty good. But it's, it's nice being one of the younger guys in it. I think being able to see a younger person being part of the church in the way that I would be a part of the church can be something really great. Yeah. (laughs) Because when you think of deacon and you think of the people, you know, oh, you think of deacon, blah, blah, you know, they're not so much younger (laughs) as everyone else. (laughs) That came out really bad. But (laughs) (laughs) so what's going to happen in a couple of years when we have the deacons who have to retire after a certain amount of years and a certain age. So I think they're going to really use me <laughs> yeah. for a lot of years. And well, I think that's good. God. Yeah. Yeah. And that should be good. And, and serve. yeah. And show that, you know, a young guy with kids, young kids can do it. Mm-hmm. 
well, I mean, it's still two and a half years away, but I'm doing it so far. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that just as a church, we could highlight the service of deacons better and let more people know how valuable they can be, how rewarding it can be, what a help to the church and the parish community it could be. So I think we can we can really do that. I hope that this episode helps do that and that your life will do that. Now, what happens after you get ordained? Where do you go? Do you That's know? up to the bishop. So uh, when you get ordained, you are at the at the will of the bishop where he wants to put you. And it could be here at St. Basil's. It could be somewhere anywhere else. It could be anywhere in the diocese. He could say, hey, we need you out in, at St. Gabriel's Parish on the west side, you know, all the way out there mm-hmm. on the east side. And you don't really know where it's going to be. And they take into consideration your home parish and where you want to where you want to go and mm-hmm. the pastors around the area and where you've worked doing field education work and stuff. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Wow. So are you looking forward to preaching? I don't know yet. <laughs> I still have another year until I take um, homiletics and and learn how to do that. I'm really good at talking to people one-on-one, but having a set thing to say, I'm not very good at or remembering what I want to say. Um, I'm really good at writing stuff down. As the people in the renewal will know, <laughs> in my time there, I'd have a couple of notebooks open and notes spread all over the place. Um, I know what I want to say at a time and write it down, and I think I'm really good at that. But being able to like preach on something without mm-hmm. looking at those notes, I think will be a little bit harder. I'm really excited for baptisms. Actually, I think that's my what I'm really looking forward to. Cool. I've been baptized. Uh, you know, pretty important. Yeah, a couple of my kids have been baptized, so <laughs> yeah. so I think that's what I'm most looking forward to. How do you keep your kids behaved at mass? Have you ever been to mass with my kids? No, I purposely <laughs> ask you what mass you're going to, and I choose a different mass. So I've been lucky enough to be a stay-at-home dad for a couple of years, which is one of the reasons I'm able to do the program, is if I had to go to classes on Wednesday nights and Saturday mornings and you know go to a different parish for field education work, if I had to spend that all that time away from my kids, I don't know if I could do it. But because I'm a stay-at-home dad, I can't wait to get out of the house some days to go to class. You know, in that whole thing, and before the pandemic, I was taking whatever kids weren't at school to daily mass with me. So I think they got a good dose of quiet mass times. Maybe they see what everyone else is doing around them. <laughs> they they kind of understand, and, and they've been we've been blessed with some really good kids at church. So Yeah, yeah truly. And we always have family help, in-laws. My sister-in-law will always help with the kids when they're there, which is nice. Yeah. Just, here, take this kid. <laughs> <laughs> so you've mentioned a couple different things with which you've been involved here at the parish. You mentioned Christ Renews his Parish. That's a weekend retreat, mm-hmm. a men's uh, renewal and a women's renewal. We have those every year. And then you also mentioned Eucharistic Adoration. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we used to have it every weekday. But right now, we have just 3 to 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. I would take advantage of it. I mean, you want to have a moment where you can just be in the presence of our Almighty God. And it's just, you bring all those worries and hopes and dreams, and you just take them in with you, and you just wait and see what happens. There's nothing like that. And I would take advantage of that as much as you can, because if you want to be someone who's a little bit more serious about their prayer and relationship with Jesus, 
I think nothing would help that more than time adoration. And I used to, <laughs> funny story, when I used to go to adoration, I was like, man, I'm not sure how to do this. So I would go with a book bag. I'd have a notebook. I'd have a Bible. I'd have a prayer book. And I'd have another book of something else of the saints. And I would just kind of run through each one. What am I going to read today in adoration? Mm-hmm. And, you know, one day I went, I was running late. I didn't have anything with me. And I just went in and I just sat there. <laughs> And it was probably the best time I've ever had in adoration because <laughs> that's when you hear the most, when you're quiet. And that's mm-hmm. just not, for me, it's very rare to have times of quiet in my house <laughs> with four kids running around. But just being able to quiet yourself and be there and be in the presence and just love and adore. And that is just something you cannot substitute in any way. You know, take time out of your day to go to adoration. Those are all times you get back tenfold in your faith. And so I would just invite people to get involved in something like that. I like the balance that you struck because prayer time, time in Eucharistic adoration, that's something you can do every day or every week. And then being involved in a parish ministry or liturgical ministry, that's something that, you know, you'll be on the schedule once a month or once every two or three months. And then you mentioned retreats, too, which, I mean, everybody's got to go on a retreat every year. I think so. Everybody's got to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's a retreat. It's a pilgrimage. It's some sort of thing where you are saying, okay, I'm dedicating more than an hour at a time to my faith life. I'm going to open up the door and let God do something. I don't know what, but I'm going to give him the opportunity. You never know what's going to happen. It's funny because you go into that, into a mindset like that, where you're like, ah, I really want this out of this retreat. And you come out with something totally different. You're like, ah, I needed that. (laughs) Yeah, way better. Yeah, I was like, you know, and it's like that uh, old adage, like, you know, when you ask God for something, he only has three answers. Yes, not right now, or have something way better planned for you. And it's once you have that kind of mindset and you go into it, and you have a moment in a retreat that just... I always call it that two by four moment. You get it blasted in the back of the head. Like, oh, there it is. Okay. I see what you're saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think just, you know, if you if you don't go on something like that or you don't give that time, you're never going to have those moments. It's going to be very few and far between. But if you stack the deck in your favor and you give yourself up for a weekend or a day to go on these retreats and, and do something where you can listen to what God is calling you to do. I think that's important. I think as adults, sometimes our faith can start to fade and seem like there's nothing going on or can seem boring, but that's because we're not living the adventure. And when you go on a retreat and you're sleeping on a cot or you're sleeping in a retreat house or you're doing silence for a couple of days or you're fasting, this is an adventure. And we, and especially men, like we are programmed to have an excitement level, a thrill level, a suspense where you don't know what's going to happen, but you leave it up to the Lord. And like that's when faith becomes exciting, an adventure, a real relationship. So I would definitely recommend Christ and Jesus Parish to the people in St. Basil. Take Take a risk, ladies. Give up a weekend. You cannot beat God at the game of generosity because he invented that game. <laughs> he owns that game. 
He can play that game better than us, so you cannot outdo him in generosity. You know, like we learned with the Magi last weekend, you know, they went back a different way because you can never go back the same way that you came once you meet Jesus. Yeah. Well, thanks be to God. Thanks for saying yes to the Lord in your marriage and in your family and in your continuous discernment to seek God's will, which has brought you into the Diaconate Formation Program. And I will pray for you, and I hope everybody listening will pray for you too, Rob. Thank you. I need it. Yeah. <laughs> we all need it. Well, I'm glad that I got to know you better. I've known you for years, and <laughs> I remember like first meeting you on a basketball court over here. Yeah, I'm just so happy to get to know you more. Thanks for having me. Well, let's remain rooted and strong and connected, and you out there listening. And come say hi to me when I'm at St. Basil's, because <laughs> my picture yeah. will be up on this podcast. You out there listening, pray every day. Crack open that Bible, get to Mass at least once a week, get to confession once a month, and do a retreat or pilgrimage once a year, and you will not remain the same. You will begin to become the person, the saint God created you to be. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Bless you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.